What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Talking Out Loud, episode numero uno. It's great to have you. This episode needs no further introduction. Let's go. Shut up at the buzzer, it's good! Brooks Hall! The place is at the buzzer! The Dayton Flyers! And the Dayton Flyers! Crash on the way! Oh. The great college basketball venue in the nation, UD Arena. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. Hello, how are you? How you doing? It is your host, Sully. Episode one is here of Talking Out Loud, the number one Dayton Flyers basketball podcast on anyone's airwaves anywhere in the entire world. As I always start the program, it is fantastic to have you here. This one feels a little bit different for a lot of reasons. And so we're going to get into that before I introduce our guest for the night. For episode one, this is October 1st, 2020. We're recording this the exact same day that we're releasing it to you. Don't get used to it. But uh, to give a little flavor to the show, why we decided to go this direction and what you can expect from us moving forward, I brought on my counterpart for the better part of three years now, I believe. Third, season uh, Drew. three. Drew, yeah. It's, it's this third season for you, yep. right? Season three for me uh, with the gang. So uh, excited to be back. Uh, ready to get after it. You know, they always say that like the third season of a player's career is when they really make the leap. So I'm really looking forward to making the leap this year. Yeah, you're, you're in the prime of your career. So you're in a contract year right now with the Blackburn Review. Is what yes, you're saying. yes. But okay. all those further discussions will be going through my agent, Kevin Toletta. Yeah, and we, we don't have arbitration here at the Blackburn Review. So a lockout is possible. Um, we, we could see you, you know, holding out in further episodes down the line. Right? It's possible. You know, I don't want to hold out to happen. You know, I, I want to come to an agreement. I want to be here. You know, I want to win. And so I think I'm confident that uh, front office and, and my representation can get a deal done. Well, I, I am I'm thankful uh, that you have such a commitment to the program uh, at large. 
So to start off the program tonight, I am going to, in a few minutes, introduce Larry Hansgen, the voice of the Flyers. Um, I doubt that anyone listening to this program doesn't know who that is. Um, But I brought Drew on to do our our little intro here before we get into it, because I thought it was um, important to kind of put some color behind what we're doing here. Um, We have had the show over the last five years, and this is my sixth season doing the podcast, And last year, Drew, I think it's safe to say with the success of the team, our success was kind of a parallel line right next to it, right? Um, We just started to get better guests. We started to have national writers that were talking about the Dayton Flyers and wanted to, you know, elaborate to a Dayton crowd. It helps them, obviously, because they get their message out to more people uh, that might not hear them otherwise. But the goal of what we're doing here is to rebrand so that we never have a limitation on really anything. Uh, obviously, this show has always been based around us saying what we want to say, and we're not filtered by anybody. We don't have any agenda, but um, I never wanted to be limited on our affiliation with the Red Scare. Drew, maybe we even bridge a gap to the administration of the school. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe. that would be I mean, something. Is this like the time when we start to see if Neil Sullivan, athletic director, would come on the podcast and give us an interview? I mean, uh, could be it. Birds are saying that Neil Neil wants to come on. We, he just needs to commit to it. So Neil, if you're out there listening, come know, on. We're blood. We're blood. We're we're basically cousins for God's sake. Might as well be. I'm saying. So when we got together over the spring, um, I had plenty of time to think about it because we were all in quarantine. Um, I wanted to come up with a new logo, a new name for the show, uh, so that, you know, moving forward, we could make this the best possible show. And Drew, I think you can attest that my goal from day one has always been to make the best possible show for Flyer fans, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we all want to do. You know, whether we're podcasting, interviewing or writing, you know, we want to put out the best product that we can so that people have an avenue to relate with watching Dayton basketball, you know, there's not a whole lot of outlets out there for it. You know, it's a, it's a limited market, but I feel like we've done a really good job of being the relatable fan and giving interesting points of view, having differing perspectives. You know, I think that's one thing that is a big strength of our podcast is that the various people that we have on have a lot of differing views and opinions on Dayton basketball. And I think that it's a enhances the show. That is a very perfect transition to what I was going to say next, Drew, of why I got Larry Hansgen on for episode number one. As I said earlier, if you're listening to this show, you probably already know that Larry does the radio for the Dayton Flyers. And what I learned on this interview uh, is that Larry has been doing the Dayton broadcast since 1983. Um, I was pretty sure it was before me and you were on this earth, Drew, but that was confirmed. But the larger point I wanted to make here is that I specifically got Larry on episode one because I wanted to bridge the gap. And you know what I'm talking about. There's the fan, the message board guys on UD Pride. There's always been the Blackburn Review website followers. There's been like this in between of like Facebook and Instagram moms that are always like overly happy about the team um, and would never say a bad word about the Flyers. We're hoping this is for everybody. And, And what better way to bridge the gap between younger fans and older fans than to get Larry on who everyone is familiar with. Everyone's heard his voice. Um, so, so that was my aim. Right. And I felt like that was a great foot to start off on um, some housekeeping things. Since this is episode one, we have expanded our footprint drew. We have gone now to six different podcast platforms. Six, six. 
six. I know six. We're like professional. Six of them now. We're everywhere. Yeah. I'm saying. So I'm going to rattle them off for you. Um, if you are listening to us right now, here are your options. You can listen on Castbox. You can listen on Stitcher. You can listen on Overcast. And then you will find us on the other three outlets that we historically had been broadcasting to. So I'm talking about iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud is our hosting site. If you subscribe to our RSS feed, if you subscribe to the podcast anywhere, the old redirect from the old Blackburn Review podcast will direct um, to the show now. So rest assured, you don't even have to do anything because I know that you're not going to go out and take all these steps to subscribe to the podcast. So if you already have, don't worry, baby birds. I took care of you. Sully feed you. So uh, with that said... Another couple of announcements before we jump into the interview. Uh, Drew, we're bringing back the hockey jersey sale. I, you don't even know this. This is breaking news. I need some breaking news music. for dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, the hockey team, club hockey team, before their season starts, wanted to uh, put their jersey portal back up. Uh, they started to sell hockey jerseys towards the summertime. I have one myself. I'll be promoting them on Instagram, and I might even start a YouTube channel if I'm feeling real crazy. Uh, but they come in light blue and white, and they will have a whole portal set up next week. Again, we're recording on October 1st, so we're looking at the week of October 4th. If you haven't got one, uh, it's a it's awesome. Like I really love my jersey. I personalize it. It's got Sully on the back. You don't have to do that. They started $110. If you personalize them all the way up with number and name, they can get up to $150. But again, I never have to buy one again. I mean, I'm set for the rest of my life. So um, go out and support the club hockey team. All proceeds go to the expenses that they accrue uh, to exist, basically. So that fundraiser went really well last time we ran it, Drew. So we're gonna you know, go back around. Yeah, I need to. I need to get in on this. I don't have one of these things yet, so I need to. Uh, I need to get myself together here and get me one of them things because they are fresh looking. They are fresh looking. And I'll say this: I saw this on Twitter. I believe he was the old viceroy for the Dayton Barstool account. He's now working for like Barstool Sports uh, in New York, and he was rocking the the flyer hockey sweater in the office. Oh yeah, our guy uh, Dukes. Yeah, Dukes. That's his, yeah, that's his name. He was rocking the flyer sweater in the office, so you love to see that. And a lot of a lot of the barstool folks were giving him some props on it too, so you know that uh, it's got some street cred. Well, there you go. Uh, I think that is a great thing to highlight right now is that we're sticking our tentacles very deep uh, around the media landscape. Hopefully, this podcast and the new branding gets us a little bit further exposure. Number one, but number two. Having a recent Dayton grad that's now an intern at Barstool, you might not think that's a big deal, but he's in there mixing it up with Barstool people, just dropping some hints of UD and you know wearing a Dayton jersey. So it can only be good stuff. Whether you love Barstool, hate him, I don't really care. It's good for Dayton to have their name out in more places. That's that's always where I'm at. It's, it's like, one of the biggest media companies in the in the country right now. So it is. the yeah. the publicity for our school, which doesn't get a lot there. You know, any publicity there is good publicity. So, you know, like you said, whether you hate love Barstool or hate Barstool, doesn't re- that doesn't really matter for this kind of situation. It's just just know that the, there's a Dayton Flyer shirt roaming the offices of one of the biggest media companies in the country. Yeah, P- putting the name out there. Exactly. Speaking of publicity, last announcement. If you right. Yeah, you you listening to this right now. If you know someone or you yourself would like to advertise with talking out loud, if you would like me to do a little little ditty, a little ad read to advertise for whatever you got cooking right now in these post-COVID times, uh, maybe your money-making schemes, 
you hit me up. Uh, Lee's Chicken has been extremely kind to us last year. Oh, yeah. We have Milano Subs, uh, Chief Screen Printing. Um, the owners of that business told me they're onto something new, so we might have a new business to promote for them. Um, but again, if you're a local business around Dayton, we reach about three to 4,000 people that love Flyers basketball or live around the Dayton area. So I, you know, I have to put that out there. If you want to advertise, you get in touch with me. I even set up a new Gmail, uh, talkingoutloud at gmail.com. And so if you want to find this podcast, same thing. All you got to do, type in talking out loud, of course, L-O-W-D, talking out loud, anywhere into your Google search. And this is the only thing that's going to come up. Part of being a great marketing brand is that when there's no confusion, Drew, you know, that's it's right. talk, talking out loud. It's just us. Okay. Yep, just us. Um, so without further ado, let's get right into that interview with Larry Hansgen. I know you're going to enjoy it. I loved it. But again, just, you know, forgive me for being a little bit rusty. It's been a couple months since I've been on the mic. Preseason. Yeah, it's pre. Nah, it's preseason. You're right. You're right. But here, here it is. We're getting. To it. I am joined now by the voice of the Flyers, and uh, this is uh, an interview I've been wanting to do for a really long time. And over the course of the summertime, when I was debating what to do with the podcast, where to go from here. Um, you know, what direction I wanted to take the show. Uh, I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to come out on the other end. And what ended up happening uh, for me was that I wanted to make this um, the Dayton Flyers podcast for everybody, younger fans, older fans, new fans, old fans, um, just a little bit of everything for everybody. And so with that in mind, I reached out to Larry to put this interview together because I felt that there was no better way to bridge the gap of the younger fans and the older fans uh, than to speak with Larry for a, a little bit of time. So I'm joined now by Larry Hansgen, the voice of the Flyers. Larry, it's great to have you on the program. How has the offseason been treating you? You know, it's, it's just been a, it's been a blur, Sully, because, um, you know, all, all the milestones, the, 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 the mileposts, I should say, uh, of the year, uh, you know, you, the vacation you always took at a certain time, a festival that always occurred at a certain time, a flyer football that should have started three weeks ago, all these little mileposts are gone, and as a consequence, uh, it just – it's been kind of a big Groundhog's Day the off season. Uh, the only thing that's kind of changed is has been the weather, and even that's been uh, uh, gloriously good. Um, but uh, I, I have nothing to complain about. I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Uh, I've been able to work, and so you know the the pandemic has impacted me uh, indirectly and not directly, which is about the best situation you can be in uh, these days. And, um, you know, I think your point is well taken there. It has been a little bit of Groundhog Day over the last, um, oh, I don't know, let's say six months now, right? Uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of this, it's the same routines over and over. And um, while things are starting to open up slowly, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard for people to get back into the swing of things when you said, you said it, you know, very aptly is that there's just none of those mile markers. But um, I have to say that we are starting to get some of them with college football starting up now. We're going to have a, a full slate of baseball games um, for the foreseeable future, right, with, uh, with the extra round that they put in here in October. But um, I wanted to get together and, and release this episode October 1st, 2020, because 
there will be a college basketball season, as far as we know. Um, November 25th is the last date that I heard. Um, you know, have you been able to, to be on campus, meet with Coach Grant, uh, talk to the team at all about the, the season upcoming here? I have not. I have not. I've had phone conversations and text exchanges, but uh, I have not uh, set foot on campus. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, they, had to, they had to halt a lot of the workouts they were doing because uh, they had a little bit of a spike there once the students arrived back in August. They'd done some one-on-one -on -one drills uh, beginning in July. So, you know, all I know is that uh, everyone's doing okay. They're safe. Uh, but, you know, this is going to be um, kind of a quick ramp up, um, you know, almost reminiscent of the days uh, when it used to have that, that hard October 15th start and all the midnight madnesses and things like that. Uh, you know, in recent years, there's not really been an off season, at least for the guys. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been in, involved in year-round workouts and practices. And as a consequence, um, this time of year would just be a, can, almost a continuation. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was just looking at my computer this week, uh, you know, in files, and I had one that was dated, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, the, uh, the 23rd, September 23rd. And I had a September 23rd, 2019 file, and it was from the first day of practice. Um, and uh, I went, wow, you know, um, this is a little different uh, this time around. But, I mean, I, I feel confident with the November 25th start. What that season's going to look like, I don't know. And that's the biggest question mark that's facing us right now as we do sit here uh, turning the page to October is that we know we're going to have a season, but in what capacity, right? What's the flavor going to be of this season? Because it certainly won't be the flavor that we're all accustomed to. Um, you're going to see a lot more empty arenas, which is, um, you know, will be familiar for some A-10 teams, not for others like us. But um, that was my best jab that I could put in early in the program because I haven't really got, you know, my trash talking is, is very the, bad now, you know. It's like I've the, lost my touch. Well, the LaSalle radio guy already beat you to it because he, uh, he, said, that, he said that back in, uh, in Brooklyn uh, the day that the A-10 tournament was supposed to start. He said, I really feel bad for you guys and your fans. I mean, heck, we're used to playing in front of nobody. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a weird season. But for me and guys like us that – you know, make our hay with the Flyers basketball coming around the corner. I mean, I, just the fact that there is going to be a season was really all I wanted to hear. Um, but before we dig into the team and, and what's coming down the pike for this season, uh, I wanted to back up and, you know, uh, take a step back through, um, you know, how you landed in, in your seat that you've been in for quite some time now. And um, I don't even think that I was aware going into this interview of how long you have been doing uh, the Flyers play-by-play -play on the radio. So, for some of the younger listeners that I have on the program, uh, let's back up. How long have you been doing Flyers play-by-play? -play? Because for me, in my life, I've been a Flyers fan for about 30 years. I don't really know any, any other way. So when I turn on the radio, you've been the guy my whole life. So it leads me to believe it, it's, it's probably been a while, right? Well, first year was, 19, was 1982. There you go. I was born in 1990, so, so I did so have there, that right. So there you go. Um, yeah, in 1982 um, – you know, at that time, uh, there was a guy named Chris Harris who uh, is was a player at Dayton. He uh, played back in the 50s. Um, he's in the Hall of Fame, and he had two sons uh, that played for Dayton subsequently as well. But but he, he and Bucky had been doing the games for 10 years, and 
Chris's uh, day job, if you will, was taking him to Seattle. So the position came open, and uh, I said, I'd, I'd really like to do that. My boss at the time, a guy named Ron Kemp, said, okay, yeah, I think you'd be a good choice. And Tom Frerichs, who was the athletic director at the University of Dayton, said, no way, no way are we going to give the keys of the car to some, you know, at that time, a 26-year-old kid, you know, um, uh, we're going we're to start a search. So they, they did a big search for people, and they, they were pretty set on Marty Brenneman, uh, the Reds announcer, mm-hmm. do the games. And then Marty, I don't know how last minute it was, but he eventually just said, you know, I, I just can't commit to it. Uh, because of spring training and all of that. So here we were. Um, we needed, you know, they needed somebody. And uh, Mr. Farrick's had, had me and Bucky go up into a storage closet, which is now uh, one of the luxury suites uh, at, at the arena. Um, but this was just a dusty old closet. And um, we, I put a, a cassette tape recorder on top of some cardboard boxes, and Bucky and I sat up there and looked out this kind of grimy window down on the court and, and watched the team practice. And when they would scrimmage five on five, we would do a simulated broadcast. Took the tape and, and gave it to Tom Frerichs, and he listened to it, and he said, okay, well, that was pretty good. He goes, well, I want to hear another one. So we did it again. And at that point in time, he said, okay, you got the job. And there's a couple of things that, that really, you know, I'm so blessed is, uh, well, first of all, despite his reticence, I never had a bigger supporter thereafter than Tom Frerichs. And he gave me feedback. It was always constructive, but very positive. Um, I, I, you know, he's my, one of my dearest friends in the world, but to the life of me, I don't know why Bucky, said, yeah, I'll help you get this job, kid. I don't know why he threw his lot in with me, but he did. And the same can be said for Coach Donaher. Why, why was Donaher all in on me and, and saying, what can I do to help you out? What do you need to know? Um, I mean, you know, we're talking about really good people, but still, uh, I, you know, I, I had not, I hadn't earned my stripes yet. And they took a chance on me. There's three people that all took a chance on me to whom I will be forever indebted because if any one of them had just said, nah, you know, you and I wouldn't be talking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often uh, times think about the trajectory of my own program in that light um, and just the way that things have kind of happened like little by little. And I, I, I think back, so my dad told me a story a while ago. My dad's a, a 1977 grad, and um, his freshman year, uh, he wasn't doing so well in school. And um, he said, I went into uh, one of the offices of the dean, dean of the business school at the time. He goes, and this guy basically took the time to go through my grades one by one, and he was the guy that kept me in school. And my dad said, if I had not gone into this particular Dean's office, I don't think my dad remembers what his name was. I would love it if he did. But he said, if I had not gone into his office and I had one guy who, you know, took the time to understand my situation and how to keep me in school, he goes, I would have been done at UD. I was ready to go home to Pittsburgh, um, you know, pack up my stuff and never come back. And, And it got me thinking, you know, 
you know, I probably wouldn't have the Dayton Flyers in my life had that one person, you know, not helped my dad out and kept him in school. So um, this all is, is kind of a funny, um, I guess they're interesting examples and they go back to something that I always hold with me that Dan Patrick said about when he got out of school at UD, he was working at Dayton and he got a call from um, CNN Atlanta and they said uh, that they wanted to take a chance on him. And he said, you never know when your number is going to be called, but when it is, you got to be ready. And, and I think, you know, as obviously a long-winded way to, to highlight your story and, and put more context around it, but it sounds like that was precisely the exact same thing, right? Just being ready when your number's called. Yeah, and, and, and then, you know, having, you know, realizing that, you know, you did get help. And, and not then just thinking that, oh, well, shoot, well, I've arrived because look what I did. And realize that, no, you didn't do it on your own. You did it because you got some help. You had some people that believed in you and that, that that's, they're part of that achievement. It's not anything that you've done on your own. Absolutely. Um, so in the context of, of the program that you did join, um, it was quite an exciting time to, to join on to the Flyers beat, right? Um, in 82, I believe they went to the NIT. That was a pretty good team, 21-9. and nine. And then uh, by what, your third season, they were in the dance. Um, yeah, well, then, yeah, actually, I, I came in so the fall of 82. So I was after that NIT year. Okay. And they were, they were 18 and 10. And – thought we were going to go to the NIT and they got snubbed. And then that second year uh, made that, made that run to the elite eight, um, which was, you know, very, you know, you look, I look back on it now and like it, it, it was so at one point in time, that team was, um, uh, they were six and six or seven and seven. I think they were seven and seven and we're in Philadelphia playing temple at that time. Temple was ranked had a really good team. Um, and uh, Bucky and I and Coach Donaher were going to dinner. And Donaher's sitting in the front seat of the cab, and Bucky and I are in the back seat. And Bucky says, hey, Cabby, guess who you're sitting next to? You're sitting next to Don Donaher. He is the head coach of the Dayton Flyers. They, we're playing, they're playing Dayton. They're playing Temple tomorrow night. Temple's going to kick his ass, and he's going to get fired. <laughs> You could just, and you could just see Donaher's neck get all red. He's just, you know, and um, so uh, lo and behold, he went small that night. Up until that time, he had tried everybody uh, to uh, to be a post player. I mean, there's a, you know, there's some guys, you know, Jeff Zern, Don Hughes, Rory Dallinghouse, uh, Jeff Tressler. These all, these were players that started. Uh, at the five spot, the center position, if you will, that year. And before that Temple game, coach said, you know what, I'm just going to put my five best players out there and went small, played, started Damon Goodwin instead. And Ed Young at six, seven became the post player. And then that team started catching fire and won. And that's the team that, you know, got into the NCAA tournament with a, you know, an 18 and 10 record, same record as previous year. Um, but were hot and had some really quality wins, uh, had the dramatic uh, last-second win over DePaul, um, and then, you know, got in the tournament and just, uh, uh, I think, shocked. That, that was, you know, comparing tournament runs, that was probably a much bigger Cinderella story than the 2014 team. 
I agree with that, actually. Um, and I think that younger fans, what, what is actually lost on the number, because, you know, in 2014, all you ever heard was first time since 84, first time since 84. And what I think that younger fans don't appreciate, and maybe you can now speak to this, is what did that Elite Eight run do for the program? Because at that time, Donner hadn't been to the tournament in 10 years. And to your earlier story, there were rumblings that he was going to get fired that season, were there not? Well, yeah, and, 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 and the rumbles didn't, didn't go away as obviously a, a few years later, uh, uh, four years later, he did. Uh, he was let go, but um, it, it, it just what made it improbable was that, um, you know, college basketball, that, that was a different era of college basketball than now. Um, you know, it was extremely hard to get in the NCAA tournament. They had just gone, I think they were at, they weren't to the 64 uh, field yet, I believe. And, or they, and they, they still had the, the quote, play-in games that were, again, at the UD Arena that year. But, um, you know, they, they went up against some really great players and, and, and really good competition. And it just, uh, you know, it, it, I, I can remember just being out there in Salt Lake City and watching them warm up you know, to have the, the you know have the open practices uh, for the NCAA tournament, and so you had UNLV there with Jerry Tarkanian. Um, you, you, you had to, uh, LSU was there, of course, with which Dayton played, and uh, and then you know the Dayton Flyers walked out on the floor to shoot around, and it, it looked like a high school team. <laughs> you know, it really yeah. it, they were not impressive at all. You know, and and Roosevelt Chapman was the best player in the tournament that year. Uh, led the tournament in scoring, but, you know, Rosie didn't look, you know, just walking out on the floor in warmups. He didn't look like he was, you know, but. Uh, I stood next to him. I know exactly how big he is, you know, yeah. he's not really okay. an imposing guy, you know. But you look at that team um, and you've got, you know, Cedric Tony, UD Hall of Famer, Roosevelt Chapman, UD Hall of Famer, Ed Young, UD Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. Goodman, uh, UD Hall of Famer. Uh, Anthony will probably make it in as a coach now. Um, so that was a pretty, you know, and, and they had some other pieces of the puzzle there that, you know, guys like Larry Schellenberg, who just was one of the he, – he and Cedric Tony, that, that might be the most competitive backcourt. That, that might be the backcourt that hated to lose more than any backcourt. Um, maybe I, – I, I would put them – against like uh, Scoochie and I was going to say Kyle Davis is about to break through my headphones Kyle, and disagree Kyle, with you. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle Davis and Scoochie. So, okay. That's, but that, that's a good, what that does is it gives you, you some perspective and, and anyone who wasn't around back then, okay, they were, they were Scooch and Kyle before there was Scooch and Kyle in, uh, in just tough guys, tough guys. It just, I, I remember, you know, we, they, they, they went out to the West Coast Regional and they beat uh, they beat Washington, who had the Berlin Wall of uh, Christian Velp and Detlef Schrempf, and then went up against Georgetown with Patrick Ewing and company in the uh, regional final and lost. And you know, waiting to fly back afterwards, you, everyone's feeling pretty good. You know, they had you know, hey, little old Dayton got you know they were. Not only the Elite Eight, they were the Elite Five because they were the last team eliminated by virtue of it being out on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Everyone's feeling pretty good, except Larry Schellenberg was just sitting on the curb and he was just muttering to himself. 
And I go, you okay, Larry? He goes, we should have beat him. We should have beat him. <laughs> it was just beside himself that they had lost that game. And you know what? That's uh, He was a great competitor. And, and that's one of the things I've always uh, liked in certain players. I mean, gosh, you've seen some great shooters, some great athletes through the years. Boy, I love competitors. Mm-hmm. That team had some competitors, and that's why they did what they did. And I think that was one of the reasons that um, those, those Archie teams specifically, you know, the Scoochie and Kyle um, and Kendall, those three guys coming into, the, coming into school together and then obviously graduating together with the success they had, I think that's what made them so likable um, to the fan base was that you knew that they were going to give you 100% every time they touched the floor. And, um, you know, the, I think that we were in a part – we were kind of in this – um, this era of the program where we needed that because I think that when I was in school and, and a lot of the Gregory teams, that was always the gripe, right? It was always, we thought that Gregory could get more out of his players or we thought that Gregory could develop his guys a little bit better. And then, you know, Archie came along and you just had these guys that were scrapping and playing hard nosed defense and in your face and they're trash talking. And I just think that that was something that people needed in Dayton because of all those years where, I don't want to say that we were vanilla, but Dayton really didn't have any polarizing brand attached to it in in that Gregory era. You know, they had a lot of good teams, a lot of good athletes, certainly had success. But, you know, when I think about Archie teams, I think about an identity, you know, and Anthony's is certainly building that now is that identity, that brand. Right. And, um, you know, I think that that is one thing that our fan base specifically has always loved. And you, I'm, I'm sure you know, in the arena, what do Dayton fans love the most? When somebody goes jumping for like a loose ball out of bounds or they hit the, hit the floor, you know, to grab a loose ball, those effort plays. Nothing gets people fired up in the arena more than effort plays, right? Yeah, and, you know, they, you know, and they like the, the, the two things that they, that they like and, 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 and what is real palpable is when they see people that are, when they see guys playing hard and, and, and caring mm-hmm. because you know you're sitting in that seat and you want it so bad and you want the guys down there in the short pants to want it just as bad and and you want to see them care about each other and and and, and you, you, they pick up on that camaraderie I mean I it, it's no coincidence you know that the 84 team they were a close group um you know the the, the Scooch and Kyle and Kendall you know, those guys, and then you know, throw in Deshaun, and then um, what What guys like uh, uh, Jordan Seibert and, and Devin Oliver did to be, be leaders, but to, to defer to teammates. I mean, that, that, was, that was just absolutely super. And then, you know, the 2009 team uh, that, uh, that went to the NCAA tournament, beat West Virginia before losing to Kansas, you know, and that was a team that it, you know, there's probably maybe more talented teams. The, the, maybe the, the, the year before when, when Brian Roberts was a senior, um, you know, I, that was probably a more talented team. I mean, I agree. His, with his presence there, um, you know, and, and, you know, Chris Wright getting hurt and then Charles uh, a little getting hurt. You can go, well, if that and that. But I don't know, just that, that, that following year, even though they didn't have – you know, Brian Roberts, but at the dreadlocks combination of, of London and, 
and uh, Rob Lowry and, <laughs> and BG used to laugh. He said he thought, you know, cause, cause you know, London, I mean, you put him on the beach, he couldn't throw it in the ocean. I mean, guy could not shoot. And, and, and Lowry, but Lowry's, Lowry's not a bad three point shooter at all. He had some shot in London. He was, he could get to the rim. Okay. Well, he really thinks that opposing teams got confused as to which one was in the game. They just see, they just see dreadlocks guy and uh, they, they'd sag off a of Rob and he knocked down a three and then they go, Oh crap. And then they'd, you know, then they'd get, uh, they'd get right up in the face of London and he'd blow right past him. So I think, I think uh, that, that confusion at times uh, uh, worked to their advantage, but, there again, that that was a group that they had some they had a character about them, and I think people they fed off each other, and I think the fans fed off them. And you look at all the other you know teams that have really done well. I think that's kind of a common bond. They're not all the same character wise, they're not all the same personality wise, but it, it's that thing where the where the fans they, I don't they just they can just relate to them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, years later, London told me. Uh, we, were, we were having a beer here in Chicago, and he said, our, our mantra in that 2009 season was, we just got to score 60. He said, because we figured we were going to hold just about anybody under 60, 65 points. So if we got to 60, he goes, we were probably going to win that game. And, and he was right. I mean, that was kind of their identity that year was they were low scoring. They let a lot of teams hang around. You know, I, I watched a lot of those games from the first row when I was a student. Um, and I – I often tell people how funny it was to be a freshman in that year because they were undefeated at home and then they went and they won their first tournament game in 19 years. And I had all these friends that, that were new to Dayton, new to the scene. And they thought, Oh, this is, you know, this is what Dayton basketball does. And I was always yeah, going I'm, to remind them. I'm like, Nope, we don't do this all the time. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I've been a fan my whole life and I've been waiting for this day, you know, since I was born. But, um, you know, and I guess it is a perfect transition to uh, talking about those years. You mentioned that, uh, you know, towards the end of the, the decade, of the 80s, you know, Coach Donaher was let go and then they had the search and they found Jim O'Brien. And then I'm sure anybody that's listening to this podcast knows that uh, those years were, were tough and they put the program uh, back quite a while. And um so I was always interested to get your perspective on that era. Um, number one, on, on like how UD ended up in that position with Jim O'Brien. And then number two, like, I, like how we hold Oliver Purnell in a regard in Dayton because I view him as a savior of the program. And I think without Oliver Purnell, there's a good chance we could be um, – I don't want to say like a LaSalle, but we, we could very well be a team that doesn't really get to the tournament. And he came in mid nineties and absolutely turned things around and made them a tournament team by what year five, I believe. So again, I was always interested to get your perspective on those years, how Dayton got so low. And then number two, you know, how OP was able to turn it all around. You know, like, like most things, it's not one thing, but it ends up being a combination of things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, I'll, I'll, I'll quote from the Wizard of Oz. Um, you know, Jim O'Brien was, he was a good man, but he wasn't a very good wizard. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, he was high. I, I think the, the hiring process, um, Jim Paxson Sr., UD Hall of Famer, the son Jim had played uh, for Jack Ramsey uh, with the Portland Trailblazers. And, you know, obviously, uh, 
the Paxons and Jack Ramsey held each other in high regard. Uh, Jim O'Brien was Jack Ramsey's son-in-law, and he had been a head coach at Wheeling Jesuit uh, in the collegiate ranks, and then, you know, he was working as assistant, assistant coach to Rick Pitino with the Knicks, and so, you know, he gets the job and, uh, and takes a, you know, a talented group of uh, seniors, six seniors who had really underperformed, uh, really underperformed in their previous year and, uh, you know, won the MCC tournament, went to the NCAA, beat Illinois, uh, and then, you know, narrowly lost to, you know, narrowly lost to Arkansas. Um, but then thereafter, I, I think that, you know, Jim made some, made some bad decisions um, with his, his hiring of his staff and in turn some bad recruiting decisions. Some were his, some were staff made that, you know, even he wasn't on the same page with the staff when, you know, they recruited a couple of guys. And, you know, it just then starts to snowball. Um, his practice, this was back when they used to, they did a lot of live scouting still instead of just relying on videotape. Mm-hmm. The practices would be so complicated. I mean, it would be, uh, okay, if they come down and they hold one fist up, then we do this. If they come down and they hold a thumbs up, then we do this. If they come down and he says, uh, Alpha Bravo, then we do that. I, I, I tried to get a grasp of what they were doing. And I was looking out there on that floor and I, I just saw glassy eyes as far as, um, you know, and, and, and like even things like, and I, I'm better than 90% true, sure this is true, but they had a guy named Maurice Bellina. He is from the Central African Republic and he played at Dayton. And he, the story I, as I got it, you know, here again, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right about this, but the story as I was told, was that a staff member was sent to a tryout camp in Florida, in near Orlando, I believe, and it said, go sign the kid from Central Africa. And they signed the wrong guy. <laughs> and, and Maurice was, he was a nice kid, but he was like, he came here and he says, I can't believe it, I'm playing college basketball in America and I have a scholarship. And I'm, I'm, he couldn't believe it. Well, when I saw him play, I couldn't believe it either. Um, and, and this guy, this guy injured more teammates in practice than anyone in the history of the program. He was just, you know, totally out of control. So, I mean, all these little things like that happen. You've got very complicated offense and defense, some, not some good, you know, some recruiting misfires. And then, and then you lose some games, and then all of a sudden you're in a hole. And um, I'll never forget, well, they won four games. O'Brien's next to last year, they won four games. And so help me at the end of the year, I couldn't remember which four they won. I could not remember. You know, you would think, you know, say, well, Satan's record, well, they were, you know, they were four in, uh, in 20. This game, this game, and this game, yeah. Oh, which ones they win? I couldn't remember. <laughs> Uh, the low point of that season, though, had to be they were playing Missouri-St. Louis, a Division II school, and to start the second half, they defended the wrong end and gave up an uncontested layup. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, it, years. That, so that was the absolute low point. I mean, that is the low point of Dayton, of Dayton basketball, far and away. 
So in comes Oliver Purnell, and after they, you know, increased their, you know, after the four-win season, they had a 50% increase in victories, uh, won six games, uh, and, and O'Brien was fired. And Oliver Purnell comes in, and I, I agree with you, Sully. I mean, Dayton isn't, you know, Oliver Purnell came in, and he made the program relevant again. That's the perfect word I was about to say was he made it um, relevant. It, it, it mattered in the college basketball world. And so that's, and now, and then he did a great job. He found players. He found players under rocks. I mean, if you look at, at, at who became the stalwarts of this, of this uh, program, you know, Josh Pastorino was a great very first recruit because, and a lot of coaches will do this. They want that first recruit to be someone that, they can always have their picture taken next to the rest of their lives because they're, they're a good person. They're not going to get in trouble. They're going to do the right things and they're going to be able to play. And Josh was all of that. Yeah, and he, now we can't get rid of Josh. He's everywhere now. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I yeah, know but, he's listening, <laughs> but he was, I mean, he was the absolute perfect first recruit, you know, high character kid, tough kid, you know, competitor, blue collar Dayton kind of guy. And he could, and, and it, it was immediate improvement at the point guard spot and all of a sudden boom you got a point guard that can play and and then so then you know some of the subsequent uh players that they brought in you know keith wallace he wasn't highly recruited at all you know uh and in fact he was going to be a, a a walk-on his first year but then a scholarship opened up so they gave him a scholarship while he was redshirting sean finn from hayes kansas Whoever even knew where Hayes, Kansas was, yeah. Dayton found him there, and, and you know, and and same thing with Ramad Marshall, you know, finding Ramad Marshall and getting him here. I mean, these were, um, you know, the, these were guys that were, you know, not highly sought after. Then you throw in a very highly sought after recruit, Brooks Hall, and whoa, Dayton's a player again. You know, they got a, a player. A, like a, he was a local kid. He was in state, highly recruited. He checked a lot of boxes. And now all of a sudden, like I say, Dayton is relevant. And Oliver leaves having taken the team to the NCAA tournament and a number four seed. And, you know, and that, that was pretty, that was pretty, that, that was a huge accomplishment. And the thing that was, has been great is that subsequent to that, Every other coach has kicked the can a little further down the road. You know, uh, BG took that recruiting and, and he, he kicked it up a notch. And then Archie came in. He said, okay, we're going to still recruit like that. But then you know what? We're going to take player development and we're going to kick that up a notch. And then, and then Anthony comes in and says, okay, we're going to recruit high level. We're going to develop kids. But we're going to kick, you know what? We don't want just anybody. We want the cream of the crop type of guys. We want guys that are going to, that we can make better people that want to be a part of something like that. So we're going to just, we're, we're not going to recruit just players. We're going to recruit the whole person and take this whole program just a little bit further up a notch. And, but you're right. It, it doesn't happen without Oliver. Absolutely. And I think, I say this a lot to people, but the the trajectory of like my life and how the parallels of, of the Dayton Flyers 
um, and how they've kind of gone, it has been really interesting, right? Because when I was a little kid, Dayton was really bad, but I didn't really know because I was a little kid. I just like going to the games. So then by the time I was like 10, 12 years old, this was the teams that you're talking about, right? And it's really fun when you're that age because, you know, if your team's good, you know, that's all you want to talk about. It's all you want to do is look up stats and you want to watch every game. And, you know, I, I remember so many things about that era and the Flyers were only on national TV maybe twice, three times a year. And in Pittsburgh, I mean, I used to circle those days on my calendar, right? So that really got ingrained in me early on. And then, like I said earlier, I was fortunate enough to be a freshman when Dayton got over the hump and finally won a tournament game. Um, so I always had like a very, I think, unique perspective about how like, you know, the, the waves of the program have gone just, and again, how they've matched up with my life. But I wanted to go back to something that I felt was, was fairly interesting. And I don't think I ever gave this too much thought, but it, it seems to me now that what didn't work for Jim O'Brien or, or what was his downfall in the position has been the success of Anthony Grant. And what I mean by that is you said to yourself that Jim O'Brien tried to teach an NBA system to guys that were college, were college players, right? Whereas Anthony Grant now has made an NBA style system, but he's focused it under the lens of college basketball. And in turn, what has happened, especially this past year, is Dayton was regarded as like a revolutionary offense because they mimicked a lot of the NBA style while still staying under that lens of the college game. And so I find that really interesting that back then, or, you know, we're talking 30 years ago, that that complicated NBA system didn't really work for, for Jim O'Brien. But we find ourselves now in 2020 where that's becoming the brand of Anthony Grant, you know, the positionless player, ball movement, spacing, you know, all concepts that really have been centered around NBA offenses for a long time. And we're seeing it, um, you know, bear fruit now in the college game for us. Right. Well, it's, it, it, it takes, you have to have, um, you have to have basketball players with uh, obviously some skill uh, to execute that. But what it is, is it's really, it's, it's freedom. Uh, Jim's was a bit more set play oriented uh, in both offensively and defensively in that, um, you know, Dayton defensively this year. Um, that was one of the things that I just marveled at is that uh, Dayton defensively would, you know, a, a lot of times they gave up, they gave up some, a, a lot of uh, desperation for lack of a better term, desperation threes in the second half, because they, to they totally took people out of their offense. Uh, Dayton didn't respond defensively to other teams. Dayton imposed their will defensively on other teams. So it wasn't about, all right, if they do this, then we do this. They go, here's what we do in these situations. And it was a matter of imposing their will defensively, then offensively, having the freedom uh, and the basketball IQ and the skill set to read and react to what the opposition defense was giving them. Um, and, and, and it was the, the, the game that really stood out in my mind last year where that happened was the Richmond game. Yep. When they took a very good Richmond team that I think would have been in the NCAA tournament, and they just completely took them out of their offense. Richmond made a little run at them late because they had, <coughs> excuse me, had two talented players that just start going one-on-one -on -one and, and jacking shots and, and they hit some, but they weren't able to run their offense at all. And they just totally 
took them out of their offense. And I saw that happen on more than one occasion they, where they would just take a team and just not let them do what they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you said it. I mean, it's twofold. It's it's the coaching, it's the system, but it's the personnel. I mean, Dayton was the better team in just about every game that they played. I think they were a better team than Colorado as well, but Colorado had a, a good game plan for them. And, you know, credit where it's due, you know, they, they gave Dayton a sound beating. Yeah, it was but, the worst officiated game I'd seen in quite some time, too. I would actually have to agree with that. I said that when I was walking out of the United Center. I said that was because I, you know, writing for the blog and, and having commentary, I never want to be straw man. You know, I never want to come on the microphone and be like, oh, those refs are terrible as idiots. And oh, they blew this call and blew that call. And there's bad calls in every game, right? But where I always draw the line, and, the, and I'm, I'm referencing this example because of this night specifically, that night, the referees changed the outcome of the game. And that is when I always go, I go over the line and I say, you know what? If you are changing the outcome of the game, I'm going to comment on it. And that was one of those nights. Well, my job, my job is to, is to describe what's happening for someone who is not there. And um, I, I don't talk about officiating because if I dwell on officiating, then, you know, maybe then I'm not doing my job at describing what's happening. But in that game, I would have been remiss if I did not say, you know, what was going on because I've got to describe what's happening to someone who is not there. And when Rodney Chapman gets tackled and is not able to close out on a three-point shooter who hits the game-winning shot, I got to say so. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, it was – it was almost poetic that it happened like that because there were so many blown calls that, you know, before that, that of course, you know, there was going to be a blown call that it ended up ending the game for us. Um, you know, skipping over some of the things as we were going chronologically kind of through the, the Dayton Flyers pass. And then you know, we ended up here at this season. Um, you know, I thought the team going into this past year was going to be good. I was curious, you know, what your thoughts were because, Going into the year, if you remember, like let's take let's take ourselves back one year, sitting here October 2019. I remember I was like, yeah, this OB kid's pretty good. I think he's going to be a draft pick. I had no I had no inkling that he was going to be as good as he was, a top five guy, right? And I thought to myself, I think this is a tournament team, but I wasn't really sure Anthony was going to get him over the hump this year. And and I only say that because nothing was really telling me that Dayton was going to take this gigantic leap. I thought, well, you know, we were bad the first year, you know, he kind of cleaned up the roster the best he could for that second year. And then, you know, here it is third year, everybody's here, team's here, Mike sells healthy. You know, we got this OB and I thought to myself, I think this is a tournament team. Now we're sitting here in October, 2020, and it was probably the best team we ever had. You know, how did, how did that come on you as, as the season went along? Because it was pretty clear in Maui. I remember my dad looked at me and he says, I think Dayton's got a legit team this year. And it really was from the outset. Like, it wasn't like the team had to pick up steam and then, oh, they're playing their best basketball right now. I mean, they played great basketball pretty much from the jump this year. So from your seat in the arena – um, how did that progression work for you? I mean, did you go into the season kind of thinking the same thing? All right, spoiler alert. Uh, at uh, getting ready to go to press uh, at, a, at a publishing house in, in Austin, Texas, is uh, 
is my book, Bigger Than Basketball, The Dayton Flyers' Greatest Season. And the title of the first chapter in the book is, I Told You So. <laughs> when uh, the A-10 uh, preseason ballots came out in October of 2019, um, the results were VCU was picked to finish uh, first in the league, uh, Davidson was picked to finish second, and Dayton was picked to finish third. Yep. They had one first place vote. It was me. I firmly felt that this was a team that was going to win the Atlantic 10. I thought they had all the pieces were there. Uh, I thought that the chemistry was there. Uh, and I, I think it was just a matter. My only concern going into the season would be how long would it take for Rodney and Ibby and Jordy and Chase to, to knock the rust off. Because a guy that has to sit out for a year, it's that's hard to come back and just hit the ground running. And what and what those guys did, um, I mean, obviously Obi was off the charts. Um, Crutcher was uh, at the top of the chart. Uh, Ryan and Trey were maybe two of the best leaders, competitors, and winners in the country. But but Rodney and Ibby. The fact that they contributed as early as they did, you know, that's that says something because a lot of times you don't play for a whole year and it takes you until after the first of the year before you feel comfortable in the basketball court. Yep. And, you know, unfortunately, just as Jordy got healthy, Chase had to leave school. So you, you got you got each of them for half a year. You know, but you just so you got a half a year out of each of them to make a whole year. But uh, I, I really I felt confident in them, uh, in that what they had shown me, I, and they were just going to be, I, I thought, a very solid team with a couple of superstars. So let's uh, let's go to the the faithful day, March thirteenth. What were you doing when you found out everything was canceled? Where were you? Were you on the team plane? Were you already in New York? What was that day like for you? Well, um, got there on so the 13th was a Thursday. So Wednesday, uh, get to Brooklyn. And we had found out, I, I'm trying to think it was either en route or once we arrived, that you know the fans were not going to be allowed to go to the games. Yeah, that was Wednesday. Yeah, so it, it was just going to be family. Um, but, you know, disappointing. And like I said, we had a little gathering of all the radio guys in the league. And the LaSalle guys said, hey, feel bad for your fans. Your fans are so great. You know, our guys are used to playing in front of nobody. <laughs> so th this, little, we're this little gathering, we look up and there's an NBA game on. And all of a sudden, all the players get off the floor. And we're like, uh-oh, what happened? Well, and that was the Rudy Gobert. Um, testing and so by the time Josh and I Pastorino was with me to work that game on radio by the time we get back to the hotel the NBA's pulled the plug I mean they're they're suspended their season boom oh get up next day have breakfast walk over to the arena it was just eerie it was almost post-apocalyptic it was so empty around uh, the Barclays Center and then even once you got inside you know because usually 
those for those afternoon games, they have elementary school kids in and they're screaming and yelling and yeah. math problems or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it is, but yeah, there's just a handful of, of fans and we're, we want to watch a VCU play UMass because that's who Dayton will play on Friday. And they're about ready to take the floor. Yeah, that was the first game of the day. Yeah, they've buzzed them to the bench. And then all of a sudden, they see a little huddle over by the scorer's table. Guy comes on, ladies and gentlemen, Atlantic 10 Championship has been canceled. Please travel safely. That's it. So then it's a matter of, we get the okay, bus going to leave at 5, go to the airport, fly back. And by the time, before we were wheels up on the airplane, everyone had found out that the NCAA tournament has been can- had been canceled. So it was not quite 24 hours. And it just, in, it was like, have you ever fallen down the steps and you know you're falling, but there's nothing you can do about it? And you're feeling yourself hit, oh, I hit a step, oh, I hit another step, oh, I hit another, oh, another step. And then finally you're at the bottom and your day's like saying, what the hell just happened? That's how it felt. Yeah. Yeah, I tell people often, I, I think I've relayed this story on, on my show a few times that, um, you know, I, I went to work that morning, that Thursday. I had my bag packed with me and I was going to go to the airport at lunchtime. I took a half day and uh, I was going to fly out Thursday afternoon. And I was really excited about the no fans thing because, you know, I, I've been kind of scratching and clawing to, um, you know, make content and push things out for the fans. And all of a sudden I had this media pass and nobody else is going to be allowed in the arena. So I was like, man, this is a great opportunity for me. There's only going to be like whatever it was, you know, what, 30, 40 people covering the A-10 tournament. I was going to be one of them. So I, I was actually kind of excited about the whole thing that Wednesday night. And then, like you said, um, you know, I'll remember March 13th for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the title of your book is is extremely apt and is one of the things I really wanted to talk about today was why this was bigger than basketball for Dayton. I, I have um, in my head some thoughts about why this program means so much to this community, to the school. Um, some of the answers I don't like as much as others. You know, I think in a lot of ways the community needs, you know, our team, the Flyers. And, and it's always been such a, a galvanizing force for alumni and the school. But I told people this year that the, my main takeaway from this season, now that the dust has settled, I think I have a proper perspective because I was that day I wanted to go on my computer and just fire off everything in my head, you know, how upset I was. But then I thought, you know, I don't want to speak for people. I don't want to speak for how others are feeling. Maybe people are processing this differently, but now with hindsight, you know, to my advantage, um, I saw this season as a little bit bigger than basketball for the community reasons that we love to talk about at the school. And what I mean by that is I heard from so many people this year how they saw friends that they hadn't seen for a while, alumni friends, because they got together to watch basketball games. A lot of my friends, I saw them multiple times a week, January, February, because we all got together to watch the Flyers. And I mean, I'm talking, you know, my buddies and their wives, we all, you know, all went to Dayton for the most part. And that aspect, I think, is what's so important is, you know, my friends, we know twice a week in February, we're going to get together and watch the Flyers. And without the Flyers, I wouldn't see my friends as much. You know, that's just a reality. And so that's an example for me personally. But 
for the, I think it really does kind of, it's, it's an example for the community at large too, right? Like the arena is the place where we all get together to watch hoops and not a lot of things matter in those two hours besides watching our boys take the floor. So I guess, um, you know, you wrote a whole book about it. You can probably speak to it a little bit more eloquently than I did, but you know, why do you think this season was a little bit bigger than basketball for, for our community in Dayton? Well, I, I think part of it was the tragedies that led up to the season. Uh, Royal Day tornadoes, and then the Oregon District shooting, in which uh, several players were, you know, literally right there. Yeah. Right there. Um, and then uh, Dayton Detective uh, Del Rio uh, getting shot and killed in a drug raid. Um, it, 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 the, the, community, the community was emotionally scarred. And, it, you know, and, and the, th the thing is, is that they saw in the flyers, they saw, they saw guys love each other. And, and there, there, uh, there's, no, there's no other way to describe it. Um, they saw love uh, in a in a year in which there had been devastation and hate, they saw love. They saw guys that loved each other, that loved the fans. Um, you know, the, the joy with which they played. You know, we've all seen athletes who's, you know, they get in that zone, that, that tunnel vision zone, and they block out the world and they, they perform their, their, they perform their game very Belichick-like and just do what they're supposed to do. All business. Yeah. This was this was the team that, you know, they celebrated each other's achievements, and they celebrated with the fans, and it was, it was very palpable, how much this team cared about the, each other. And they got it, and they got it. And, and obviously guys like Ryan and Trey could, you know, kind of lead the way with that. But, it, you know, it wasn't just them, though. You know, this, this, this team's a, a very diverse team geographically. But I tell you what, they were all, they were all part of the community last season. Yep. And, and going back to an earlier part of our conversation, I think that one of the most important aspects of those later Archie years were that, um, you know, the Kyle and Scucci and Charles Cook and Kendall Pollard, they really embraced being the face of the community. You know, those guys really loved the spotlight, number one, but they loved that they wore Dayton across their chest and they held it with a little more reverence than we had seen, right? Because there's, there's been guys that come through the program that, that love being a flyer. You know, they represent the program really well. And we're very thankful to have so many older um, players that represent the program well. And it's, it kind of starts and ends with Roosevelt Chapman. When, you're, when the best player in your program's history is such a stand-up great guy, um, there's a trickle down from that where that's the expectation for, for great players. But those guys were a unit that, same thing, really loved each other, loved playing with each other, loved winning basketball games, but they loved doing it for Dayton. And um, I think that what we're talking about right now is that same thing came back around in 2020, was that the, I think everybody started to realize 
what basketball means to the community and, and, and why it means what it does to the community. Because when we have all these events in Dayton that you can't ignore, you know, the, like you said, the, the police shooting, the Oregon district shooting, the tornadoes, the realities of the world, we just can't brush aside. We can't ignore, but we can also recognize that one of the best things that we have going for us in Dayton, Ohio is the basketball team and, and the guys that take the floor. So I think this year was just a great reminder, um, you know, despite how it ended, it was a great reminder of what, what a community the Dayton Flyers basketball program is. And I think I came away from 2020 with a greater appreciation that everybody now has an understanding that this is what basketball means to the school and the city at large, right? Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, it's a bar that has been raised continuously through the years, uh, and it has been raised again. Um, and, and I think future Flyer teams um, are, are going to be, they're, they're going to be challenged not so much to go out and post a 29-2 and record or go undefeated in the Atlantic 10, but they are going to be challenged to be the type of people that the 2019-2020 Dayton Flyers were. And I feel good about that. I feel good about um, the returning players. Big part of that, but even the newcomers, the, the newcomers that are coming in, because, you know, it's, you know, it, the, the, there's a buy-in there and there's a chemistry that, you know, I, I think will continue. The bar has been set very, very high, uh, but it's, it's, it's a bar that's not so much about wins and losses as it is about being good people, good teammates, and good members of the community. Yeah, and representing Dayton the right way. Um, that's, that's certainly, you know, a, a good point. And I said this to a few people um, over the last couple of months, but what's most encouraging now about the program is that I, I always said this in, when I was in school, but it always felt like Dayton was just a buck short in taking that next step as a program. You know, we'd have a couple of tournament appearances or one tournament appearance, and then they'd be back in the NIT. And that, and that happened for decades, right, in the 80s and then in the 90s and then, you know, like early 2000s. And then Archie turned it into a, you know, a perennial tournament program. And I said that Anthony Grant had to get them back there by year three or else all that progress was going to be lost. And sure enough, he did, number one. But number two, we put the infrastructure in place behind the team to now have that brand. And you know as well as anybody how important it is right now in college basketball to not only have a dominant program, but to have a brand. And Dayton now has that. You know, they, for whatever reason now, when you say Dayton in the lens of college basketball, it's a respected name. People think of us as a respected program. And I'm not saying that, that we weren't respected, but when you, when you thought Dayton before, I don't think people thought dominant program, perennial tournament team, but they do now. And, you know, when I talk to other fans around the A-10, even on this program, they're quick to say, oh, well, you guys have it great in Dayton. We, you know, we'd love to be a program just like Dayton. And that tells me that we finally took that next step. Um, I was curious if you agree with that or, you know, if you thought maybe we were already there. I, the, the last piece of the puzzle, and I don't know that it's, it's ever going to come, is um, I, I still think 
And of course, all bets are off this year with the pandemic and how games will be scheduled. But the last step that needs to be made, and I don't know that this hurdle will ever be uh, overcome, is that, um, you know, getting teams to come to the arena for a non-conference game. Yep. Um, you know, recruiting-wise, Dayton is on the map. I mean, you see the commitments they're getting from the type of players uh, for the 2021 class, in addition to the guys that are going to be freshmen next year. Um, you know, respect among the pundits, respect among, you know, you know, fans nationally, but, but still um, there's that reticence to come to the UD arena uh, to play a game. If you're a, uh, you know, if you're a power five school, because uh, you're going to get beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're probably going to get beat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's still, you know, it, 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 it's, it's got to be, you know, I, I guess the next thing would be where someone would say, well, I don't know, so what? That wouldn't be a bad loss. Exactly. Um, and I think we're close to that. Maybe not quite yet, but uh, I guarantee you that that's one of the biggest things. I missed a lot of things about March Madness. Heavens, uh, but I would have loved to have been watching TV on Sunday for the selection shows and have people on those panels just be talking about, well, Colorado's got to be in because they beat Dayton. Yep. And have a game against Dayton be a resume builder. Well, you know what? Richmond, they had that one loss to Dayton, but that's no shame. You know, you know, or, you know even, even St. Louis, oh, St. Louis. Got to give them some consideration for an at-large bid. They probably play Dayton as tough as anybody. I missed hearing those conversations. Yep. Yeah, you're exactly right. I don't think – I think most people understand how hard scheduling is for us, um, especially getting teams in the arena. Um, but you're right. The tide it was, was not and is not going to turn until teams go, okay, we're not losing anything by going to play at Dayton. If we lose, so what? If we win, that is a resume building win that we need to get ourselves in the tournament. Um, and you're right, you know, we missed a lot about March Madness, but that was certainly something that, you know, would have done wonders for the program. But I think we are headed in that, in that direction um, of, of that being a resume building win at the arena. Uh, this year, you know, it's going to be a little bit weird just because the non-conference year is so short and the a 10 still clinging to, to playing 18 games or talking about 20. So it's going to be a weird year. So listeners out there, just uh, hold on to your hats for non-conference scheduling this year and try not to, to bitch at me too much when, when the schedule comes out, people love complaining about our non-conference scheduling every year. Um, so I, I try to yeah. keep the wolves at bay, you know? Yeah. This, uh, this is not the year to uh, complain about the non-conference. <laughs> no, no, it's not, you know, I, I mean, but, you know, another positive sign, you know, is the fact that, you know, Dayton is, um, you know, had, had that, you know, they, they were all the exempt tournaments. I mean, they're going to play in one of those every year. Yep. But the, you know, the triple header in Atlanta, which I'm hearing could be expanded to where it's not just one Saturday, but could be, you know, a, you know, over a five day period play two, three games. Um, similar to what they're going to be doing in Orlando with the old uh, Myrtle Beach tournament. So those, you know, those type of situations, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they play out that way. But 
I, I think I think Dayton is now viewed as someone, well, if I'm going to put together a little bubble, that's the team I'd like to have be in the bubble. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wrapping up right now with the voice of Flyers, Larry Hansgen on the Talking Out Loud podcast. It's great to have you along for our first um, inaugural episode. And uh, as I usually do with all of my guests, Larry, I like to fire off a couple of uh, random questions towards the end of our segments. And of course, uh, I knew you would be a fantastic guest, and it's been great to have you on and, and uh, have this conversation about our favorite basketball team. But uh, you've had the best seat in the house for, like you said, almost 40 years now. Um, I was curious if any moments stand out in the arena or if you had a favorite among all the games and all the moments that you've seen in the arena. Well, games in the arena, obviously, uh, 1984 when Ed, Shung, Ed Young hit the shot against the ball. Um, that, that's that's going to be up there for, for, a, for a long, long time. Forever, yep. You know, then the uh, – you know, the, 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 the 2017 win over VCU to, to win the A-10 championship outright, um, you know, that was that great was night. special too. Um, you know, the, in 90, winning the MCC, beating Xavier in the MCC uh, finals uh, to, to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, and then the, this past year, wow, I, I, could, I could go to several games. <laughs> but um, – I don't know. I mean, that, that, that final home game against George Washington, it wasn't a thrilling, nail-biting, exciting game. But I thought, how, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but I thought that that was such an amazing exclamation mark on the season. Uh, it, it was an exclamation mark when we didn't think it was time yet to, to put a period because the sentence was going to keep going. Yep. But I – uh, that 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 day that night the whole day uh, that's pretty special i i always am, am gonna just laugh about that game and i still laugh about that game because i i had drove driven down for the davidson game uh the week before and i gave up my tickets for that gw game to some i can't remember who i gave my tickets to and i was like i you know i don't need to see this game my cousins were playing lacrosse at notre dame and so I was like, I'm going to go watch their game, and I'm going to take my family out to dinner. I literally had no plans to even watch the game. I was like, you know, George Washington stinks. We're going to roll over him. Of course we did. And now I always, I'm always i going to find it funny for the rest of my life because that was our last game, and I didn't even see it. <laughs> and, you know, I like I said, I had the media pass to, to go to Brooklyn. So I was like, I get to cover the team next week. Like, I don't have to watch this game. I'm going to enjoy the time with my family. I, I don't even think I checked the score. Like, after the game was over, I was like, oh, yeah, we, we won by 30. But while the game was going on, I, I didn't even look. And it, it's just – I find it just a little bit poetic with how much I care about the team. I religiously follow them. And that's probably the only game that I have missed in the last, like, five years. <laughs> and it ended up being, like, the game, you know, the last hoorah for that team. Um, so I, I don't know. There's a certain, um, certain degree of, um, just hilarity that comes into that. So I always ask people what their least favorite road trip is, but I am getting tired of hearing the same answer because it's always LaSalle. So, uh, over the years, what's your favorite road trip to take with the Flyers? Favorites, um, favorite is probably St. Louis because, um, you know, it's a great city and there's a, there's a restaurant there that, um, uh, Bucky and I would go to, and Bob DeMarco, who uh, played football at Dayton, uh, he and Bucky were friends, and he introduced us to it. And um, 
you know, if, if you if you go to a restaurant once a year, but you go there for 30 years in a row, they know you. And so always go to Charlie Gito's and, and get a great meal. And then, you know, St. Louis is, you know, I, I, I love their fans, uh, uh, their radio broadcast crew. They're great guys, great friends. And so uh, everything about that trip is is good. Um, you know, Olean is, is St. Bonaventure. The bad part is just getting there. <laughs> yeah. um, great college basketball atmosphere for game for the game itself. Um, but I think you know what? Here's a here's what I like. Here's what I like in the league. It's not LaSalle, um, even though the, uh, the the Tom Gola uh, Aquatic Center uh, uh, tire service and hair care salon uh, <laughs> is 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 maybe is the worst venue. Um, I'm not a big UMass fan. Um, they're again, just kind of stuck out in the middle of nowhere. Um, there's, you know, we, Dayton played its very first uh, A-10 game ever against UMass when they were number one in the country. And the place was packed at 10,500 fans. It was pretty cool. Yeah. have 10,000 fans now. Uh, it's, it's, so it's empty. It's cold. It's not very loud. It's just, it is just one of those energy sapping buildings that um, I think it's from the Dayton has done a real good job of overcoming the venue to play competitive basketball. That's always what it's been over the years, right? Is overcoming the venue, especially at LaSalle. I feel like um, it, it, uh, Archie Miller never figured out how to win at LaSalle. He just, he just couldn't quite figure it out. Um and I, I, you know, every coach that we've ever had has always had those, um, the coaches that they couldn't beat or the venue they couldn't win at. And Archie had Martelli and LaSalle. You know, you can never beat Martelli. You can never win at LaSalle. And um, I don't know if Anthony has one of those yet, but he might. Well, I, you know, I guess time will tell if he, he has a, an adversary that um, starts to poke him a little bit more than he pokes back. But um as we're wrapping up here, I wanted you to put the Flyer fans at ease uh, to finish up here. Because I've seen a lot of the national publications say that Dayton's going to take a huge step back or, you know, Dayton's not going to be as relevant. And, and I wholeheartedly disagree. I just wrote a, a little column about a couple weeks ago saying, you know, I, get, I put out an A-10 preview. And I said, this is a tournament team. Dayton's bringing back a tournament team. And I think them – St. Louis and Richmond are the only three that really have a chance of winning the league this year. But I really wholeheartedly believe that any three of those teams could win the league. I'm going to say Richmond's the front runner out of the gate because that's, um, you know, conventional wisdom tells me that five returning starters should be the, the front runner in the conference. But uh, let's wrap up the, the segment. And tell me what you foresee here October 1st um, for the, the upcoming Dayton Flyers season. What's your expectation? Where do you think they land by season's end? Well, I think uh, they will my, – my bold prediction is they will not be playing in the uh, first round of the A-10 tournament. They will be in the top four. Um, you know, one, two, three, I, you know, I, I, I could see Richmond doing well. I could see St. Louis doing well. Uh, St. Bonaventure is a team you don't want to go to sleep on. Um, but I think the Dayton Flyers are – they're not going to sneak up on anyone. But I think Jalen Crutcher will be the player of the year in the league. I think it'll be Watson will be an all-conference performer. Rodney Chapman will be an all-defensive player. And the Flyers are going to put someone on the all-rookie team. So it's going to be a combination of um, not only success this year, but it's going to be a harbinger of good things to come. 
And of course, I didn't want to let you go without uh, hearing the latest developments on your book. You said it's going to print right now, right? Yeah, it's, um, they've got to do, uh, I, I reviewed the final edit. They're going to do one more, um, one more brush up, give us, send it back to me for final approval. And then it gets uh, typeset and then it gets printed and then it's uh, available on, uh, it'll be available on Amazon and, and, uh, I think a couple of local places, things like that. We'll be off to the races. Uh, well, again, Larry, it's been a joy to have you on the program. I thought this was the best way to, to kick off the new show. Um, I always let every guest on my show have some final thoughts. So do you have some final thoughts for our Dayton Flyers listeners out there? Um, you know, it was an incredible season last year. And in the words of Anthony Grant, um, while we missed out on so much uh, March Madness, and didn't get to experience that, and you have questions of what if, instead be grateful. Be grateful for the amazing year that Dayton had, and be grateful that there will be many great years to come. I believe that to be the perfect sentiment to take this show out tonight. Thank you again to Larry Hansgen for coming on the program and kicking this off the right way. Thank you to the fan for sticking around all these years, following me over here for episode one. Please wear red, be loud. This has been Talking Out Loud. I promise we'll catch you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.